Today's reading is from Mark chapter 10. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Joel. Let's pray. God, today we're really mindful of the pain and suffering in this world, especially in Parkland, Florida. And we think about all those families in that community there. Maybe they're at church or maybe they're waking up realizing how their life is forever changed. And so we pray for your spirit today. Um, we pray that we may embody Jesus' words to trust that the kingdom of God is here, to repent and believe in the good news. Send your spirit now. Amen. I've learned a thought process that goes like this. If you say yes to something, then you say no to something else. For example, when I say yes to working three evenings a week, then I say no to being home with my kids those nights. If you say yes to being a volunteer basketball coach, then you say no to being available on Sunday mornings for other things. If you say yes to teaching Bible explorers at Mount Olivet, you're probably saying no to worshiping regularly with your family. This yes and no thinking is meant to help us when we think that we can just do it all, and then we just end up overextending ourselves and feeling depleted. And this way of decision-making can help us prioritize our commitments and make us realize the impact of where we contribute or we give our time and our presence. 
I would guess that the man in this story that comes to Jesus is a yes guy. He is someone that you want to be friends with because he is clearly intentional and has done well in his life. He comes to Jesus wanting to know what he needs to inherit eternal life. He's confident in what he has already done. He knows God's law and has kept the commandments. Yet there's still something else he is seeking. I wonder if he was expecting affirmation from Jesus. I bet he was ready to say yes to whatever Jesus called him to do because he is effective at managing his life and he's good at saying yes because he's been able to say yes without other impacts. He was not expecting to hear what he heard. Jesus looked at the man, loved him, and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own, give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The man's world goes silent. He thinks quickly. If I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? And he realizes that his life is built around what he has been given and what he has earned, and his lifestyle has allowed him to do all the things that he does. And if he lets go of his wealth, his identity goes with it. He cannot bear to think about how he will be made known without his possessions and what they allow him to do. This man does not know who he is without his money. This is both a healing story and a call story. The man approaches Jesus just as others did before, kneeling reverently at Jesus' feet, naming Jesus' power to save, and humbly asking that it be given to him. Yet, this man is the only person in the story of Jesus who chooses not to be healed, who refuses to follow Jesus, and it's because of his wealth. He cannot let go of it. He cannot see who he is without it. And not only that, he doesn't just have to let go of it. He has to sell it and give it to the poor. All that he has been given and worked for will be invested now in someone else. How is this healing? How can this give this man eternal life? He cannot even hear that treasure in heaven awaits him. He can't even begin to envision the other side of his life and what Jesus promises. He cannot understand that Jesus loves him enough to see his potential to change another's life. For this man, it's too much to ask of him. This story should startle us in the affluent West Metro Many of you have heard various ways the story has tried to be softened. Some say the eye of the needle was a small gate in Jerusalem where camels could enter if they knelt down and stripped down their packs, meaning that one could pass through if they let go of their outward possessions only. There is no such gate. How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a big animal to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter 
the kingdom of God. You are probably thinking about how this story is speaking now directly to your life. I can only speak authentically to mine. When Randy and I made the decision to give 10% of our income to the church, it came with impacts. If we said yes to giving abundantly to Mount Olivet, it meant we would have to say no to other things. And each and every year we talk about this, and I have to be honest, we feel the pinch. Giving abundantly means for us that we will not make yearly spring break trips, and we would wait another year to buy a new car. And you know what? Those things are real. And there are clear voices that say to me and Randy, you should do this. You should have this. You deserve it. You've worked hard for it. No one writes on a Christmas card in lieu of an adventurous family vacation. We gave our money away. But I have to tell you that feeling the pinch is really good for us. We need to feel the pinch because it makes us talk about where our identity is grounded and where the abundance of our life is really found. And then all of a sudden, we become more aware that there are families who cannot be as entitled with their decisions. If they say yes to rent money, then it means they're saying no to feeding their children. And what we humbly continue to learn is that once you let go, you don't have to worry about what you're missing because we cannot be defined by a cool vacation or a vehicle. We are set free by what God is doing and how the money we share is saying yes to someone else or something else. It's no longer about us. There is a freedom that comes when God works beyond a yes or a no. Sue Haig, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, is a great mentor for me in leading a nonprofit organization. At every gathering or fundraising event, she shares the mission and vision of Habitat. She tells the story of impact, and then she looks in the eyes of everyone gathered around her and says, Think right now what you are going to give. And then she pauses so eloquently and says, and now double that number. <laughs> she is unapologetic in her ass because she knows what it means for people to have a home. She knows the impact of what safe and affordable housing does for communities and for children and families. Sue knows that we each have the ability to contribute to making homeownership a reality for someone else, and this is how the world is changed. And Sue knows it goes beyond writing a check. Most habitat givers participate in building a house and their time and hard work goes into making it possible for someone else to have a home. They leave an imprint on someone else. And there is nothing more satisfying when we see how lives are changed and we see beyond ourselves where communities are built. Sue knows what is beyond a yes or a no. Peter, after hearing and watching this encounter with Jesus and this man, is simply exasperated. If this guy, who has it all together, 
and who the world considers richly blessed and successful cannot make it into heaven, then who's going to make it? Jesus' response, with, this man, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come. We have to lean into what Jesus promises will happen when we let go of all that we cling to. He promises we will have what we need and more and we will be set free. And the only way that you can experience this is by doing it. This man leaves grieving because he knows there's something more than all that he has. He is turned inside out because he can't let go of his money. He cannot see that Jesus is inviting him, asking him, to participate in God's vision for all people, that Jesus sees that he has something to contribute for the sake of the world. It's a calling. So this is a sad story because we realize how real affluenza is and how it can paralyze us from experiencing abundant life. Faith is difficult and following Jesus has costs but then there's the other side of the coin. What happens when you do let go? What happens when you can see beyond a yes or a no? If I need to work a lot of evenings one week, then I look for places to be present with my kids at other times. When you are a volunteer coach, you are making a difference in the lives of kids, forming new communities and building relationships, and when you teach Bible explorers, because you guys have, you know that you're changed, you participate in both teaching, but also learning. And so we come here today, and through God's word, and through bread and wine, we trust in how God is shaping our hearts we pray for God to help us see beyond a yes or a no, to help us know that our identity of salvation is not ever based on money or things, and we pray for God to come close in our decisions and to hear this is ongoing daily work. This Lent, we're dwelling in these stories from Mark, and we're asking a question right now. How is this story changing you? And so we, before we sing today, we're going to give ourselves some time and space. And there's a little box in your bulletin to do this. How does this story change you? One thing that's been helpful for me is to write down your work, write down your family, write down the things you love to do and where you spend your time and your money. And then imagine how God is asking you to give from those places to contribute to God's vision and to ask the question, who are you without your wealth and what lies behind and beyond the yes or the no?